Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Charlene from the Paranormal and the Sacred. Uh, it seems like I can't do the opening stuff, so I want to know if anybody in uh, chat can hear me now. I can welcome people on the phone. Okay, then I will do that. I'll just refresh. And right off the bat, there's a little couple issues. I'm refreshing. Everybody come back, and then I'll uh, welcome the people on the line. And uh, let's see here. Can you hear me now? Okay, there it is. Okay, sorry about this, people. Angeles, California. Welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your host, Shaw McCain. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Shaw McCain. I'd like to welcome listeners to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. My show is created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary thinkers for every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow the Paranormal and the Sacred on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world and we're translated in many different languages so listeners can hear outside the country. The call-in number tonight is 619-924-9744. During the show, I can take questions and orders in chat and may call in with your question and talk with our guests. Any buzzkillers in chat or on the phone will be politely kicked out, you know, just so be polite, everybody, and play nice. And uh, please continue to keep our colleague, Ellen Becker, in your thoughts and prayers and he hasn't feeling too well. I have a couple of announcements. I can see my co-host and the guest tonight are on hold. So um, I, I'm aware of you're there. And um, let's say Sierra International's next event. I feel like laughing because somebody has decided to mow the lawn outside and so there's a lot of rackets. I hope you can hear me okay and we'll just get through this and it should be gone in a second. So anyway, um, Saturday, this Saturday, September 20th, and now we're talking tomorrow, 7 p.m. to 10.30 p.m., will be uh, featuring Grant Cameron, Mr. International, is presenting Grant Cameron at Veterans Memorial Complex in the Garden Room at 4117 Overland Avenue in Culver City, California. So if you want to go, it's only 15 bucks at the door, and what he's going to be doing is discussing uh, the chosen and what I have learned from them. And there's also going to be a dinner uh, tonight uh, at 9.30 p.m. over at Jerry's Deli in Marion Del Rey if you want to meet everybody over there. And the next zero meeting will be this Sunday. And that's going to be in a Huntington Beach location. It's a secret location, but it'll be there 2 p.m. And also, start saving your money for December 13th. It's coming up fast, the zero annual holiday party aboard the Queen Mary in Long Beach. And it starts at 7 o'clock. 
It's about 60 bucks each, so bring your date and bring a gift for to exchange, and this was the value supposed to be 20, 30 bucks. It's a lovely party. We all dress up, and it's, it's wonderful seeing everybody there. And tonight is really special, too, because it's our 201st episode, and it's really wonderful to have everybody aboard tonight. Now, I'm going to get our co-host, Adrian, here. Welcome, Adrian. You're live on the Paranormal and the Sacred. Good evening. How are you doing, Shar? I'm I'm doing pretty good. You know, they decided to mow the lawn. The the thing was a slow startup. Everybody had refreshed, but we're all back, and uh, it's, I hope it sounds okay to everybody. Yeah, I can't hear it, but I know what you mean. I mean, I've had a, plenty of times when I'd be nice to teach violin, or <laughs> all of a sudden the gardeners show up by the middle of the lesson. You know, so um, I, I know what I you mean. But rest assured, I, I can't hear anything, so can't speak oh, good, for you good, good. And I want to welcome everybody in chat, and uh, and I'll have uh, you on in a moment, uh, Mr. Steve, and I can I see that he's online too. So just keep holding on. And uh, so tonight we have a very special guest, Steve Allen, and he's uh, one of the witnesses of the Stephenville lights that happened on July 12, 2008. And uh, I think that's the right date. But anyway, it was in 2008. And uh, it's very interesting because I was looking things up, and uh, he was on uh, Larry King Live, and there was a really a really great interview there. And uh, I wonder if he would tell us some about that. And, um, uh, Adrian, are you ready to welcome it on? Yes, I'm very excited about it. I love the Stephenville case. I know. Okay, hold on one second. Okay, hi, you're live with the Paranormal Sacred, Steve. Yes, ma'am. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Steve. Um, I really look forward to this uh, interview. I had mentioned when you were out here to, uh, we hosted you out here uh, in Culver City just just to like two, three months ago. Absolutely. That was a good event. Uh, uh, lots of, lots of good people and good information. Yes, very much so. And that's what we're interested in is getting the information out there and uh, I'd like to introduce you to my co-host, Adrian Rudnick. Good evening, Adrian. Steve. Pleasure to meet you. My name is Adrian. Hi, Adrian. Pleasure is mine. Good speaking with you. See if we can give the crowd a show here. Yeah. That's right. And everybody's really excited. There's a lot of people online and also uh, in our chat room. And, uh, now, I'm going to give a, a little bit of intro is that um, Steve was a witness to Stevenville Lights, and there's some... Uh, things that happened there and some anomalies that were so fantastic that um, it has, we have not stopped talking about it ever since, and I know that it impacted uh, Steve very much. So, uh, Steve, do you want to just go ahead and start uh, telling us your story and uh, let us know, like, tell us where you're from and um, what led up to all this? Sure, okay, I'd be glad to. Uh, my name's Steve Allen. I live uh, I, now. I live in a little town in Texas, Central Texas, called Hyco, Texas. It's near Stephenville. Uh, January the eighth, two thousand and eight. Uh, a friend of mine had called me, and it had been a cold, hard winter, and it, we had a pretty decent day that day. Clear sunshine, and all that. So, he invited me to come over to his house and we was going to sit outside and have a little campfire and just enjoy the afternoon and have some fellowship 
And uh, the moment I arrived, I stepped out of my pickup and started to light a cigar, and I dropped it. And as I leaned over to get it, I noticed some lights coming at us at a very high rate of speed, very bright, high-intensity lights, almost like a magnesium flare, just uh, very brilliant, unlike anything I'd ever seen before. Uh, As they was coming towards us, they was rapidly deaccelerating. You couldn't hear anything. It was totally silent. It wasn't anything way out in the space or the atmosphere. This was uh, about 2,500 or 3,000 foot above ground level. Uh, as it came past us, you could see the lights on the perimeter of the craft, and uh, they was blinking in no particular order. As it came past us, there were seven lights across the back of it, and it rapidly deaccelerated, and basically what I thought had come to a stop over Stephenville, which was about two and a half or three miles from where we was at. And the lights reconfigured to an arch shape like a a football, and they're still blinking in real bright, high-intensity white lights. Then they reconfigured to a vertical shape, seven lights, and then a moment later they split, and there was two sets of seven lights. And then another moment later they burst into a flame. looked like it was contained in a giant rectangle box. And then a second or two of that, and it just disappeared. It didn't streak off or anything. And there was three of us at the location where we saw it at. And uh, I might add, we was up on a hill. It was unlimited visibility, very nice afternoon, no road noise, no aircraft noise, nothing. It was just totally silent out there. So uh, one of the gentlemen that saw it, uh, I've said that he just kind of uh, was beside himself or flipped out, so he takes off and leaves. And so we go down in my buddy's house to tell his wife about it, and to her disbelief, she says, I want to call uh, Lance, the guy that was there. He's a rural mail carrier, and why he has more credibility than us, I don't know. But anyway, we invited her to call him. And she picked up the phone and called him, and he says, hurry up and run back outside. It's coming back. And so we did. We came back outside of his house, and sure enough, here it came back from the west traveling east. But this time in the background, you could hear some jet traffic or jet noise. And about three seconds later, here came two F-16s down on the deck about 2,000 foot above ground level, full afterburner, flame hanging out the back of them. I mean, they they was in pursuit of whatever it was, and uh, we watched it go off into the east, and it was headed kind of a a split between we have a nuclear plant probably about 20 miles away, and also uh, President George W. Bush has his Crawford Ranch, and it was headed basically directly towards it. And uh, the next day after, you know, I promised I would find out what in the world is going on because I fly that area in my private airplane quite a bit. And I thought, if this this thing's out here, I don't want to meet up with it in the wrong way. What was it, you know, in in our military aircraft chasing it? So I called uh, the airport where I keep my airplane, and I know those guys, and they did some research on it and called back, and they said, well, we couldn't find anything out about it. We did hear the military traffic in this area, which is unusual. They're usually not that altitude, if there are even any around here. And uh, so the next step, I called the newspaper, and it happened to be the Stephenville Empire Tribune, ET for short, how ironic. 
And uh, the editor says, do you mind if we run a, a story on that? And I said, no, I sure don't. You know, and I said, uh, they hooked me up with a reporter, which broke the story. Her name was Angela Joyner. And uh, she, I said, told Angela, I said, you make sure you put my phone number in it in case it was it was real brilliant sunset that afternoon. And I said, just in case somebody inadvertently was taking pictures of the sunset, they may be able to get uh, a picture of whatever it was we saw. And so the next day they ran the story, and uh, I have a pretty large-sized business at that time, and all of our phone lines was lit up with witnesses and people that had saw it, and uh, very credible people. There was business owners and farmers, ranchers. There was several policemen. One of them was a constable named Leroy Gaten. At first he was reluctant to come forward, and then finally uh, I said, come on, Leroy, I'm hung out here by myself. I need a little help here, buddy. And he says, oh, what the heck, go ahead and put me down. He says, if I don't get elected again, that's just the way it is. And so, thank goodness, he came forward. And uh, there was just quite a few large response of people. And the next thing you know, MUFON was down. And two days later, there here comes Larry King and his crew. Well, Larry King didn't actually come to location. We was remote. Mm-hmm. And uh, several days later, we was on O'Reilly Factor and Prime Time, Good Morning America, just to name a few, you know. So uh, it made the circuit. It was uh, quite the firestorm or media feeding frenzy, I call it. Uh, Immediately we went to work to try to get witnesses, and and MUFON, Robert Powell, got radar reports from all the radars and compiled it, and that took several months to get it done. And uh, lo and behold, sure enough, there's the two F-16s chasing an unknown object. The object had originally came from the east going west at 1,900 miles an hour. Within 10 seconds, it slowed down to less than 30 miles an hour. And then it stayed for a few moments, and then it reversed courses, and they re-accelerated back up to 1,900 miles an hour within 10 seconds. But it showed the two F-16s chasing it, but what we couldn't see it had four F-16s on either side of it, so it had a total of 10 F-16s chasing it. And also, we couldn't see the AWACS, which is that airplane that the United States keeps in the air for 24 hours a day with a radar-looking Frisbee on its tail. So we couldn't see it. It was circling, I think, 42,000 foot for four and a half hours over our area. And so, you know, we're out in the middle of nowhere. It's Stickville, USA down here. What was all this military equipment doing out here was my first question. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it just keeps getting more questions than answers, but we're still, you know, still trying. So all this um, you have on ra- as radar data, correct? Where you just yes, described you the chase to- and all that? Exactly. You can go to MUFON and uh, go to Stephenville Radar Report, MUFON.com, and uh, there's an 86-page report. We even, Freedom of Information Act, all the radar, I mean all the logbooks from the F-16s was in the area. Sure enough, they sent them to us, but they were sure redacted. You can barely tell they was a log pilot's logbook. You know, they had marked out quite a bit. I have uh, been up in Fort Worth trying to find the who might have been the pilots. You know, if I could just get one of those jet jockeys, I'm sure he could give me a good story if I'd buy him a beer or something. But I haven't been yeah. able to connect with any of, any of them yet. So. Yes, they might come out later, so that would be awesome. I have posted the whole 77-page uh, 
document that you were talking about so uh, right. uh, our listeners right. and readers can read it. And Now, what was the size of this craft? Now, that was another thing. This was, We're not talking about a little craft. It was huge. Very interesting you mentioned that. Uh, I estimated it to be about a half of a mile wide and about a mile long. And the reason I came to that conclusion, all that area out there is gridded up in sections, and you can kind of tell. And I fly that area quite a bit, so I'm pretty familiar with it. Uh, it was, you know, we looked at each other like, gee, is this really happening? And uh, it was up close and personal. It wasn't anything, like I said, out in outer space. It was right there at us. So, uh, you know, and as it came by, I had the remarkable feeling that I've never had before of uh, like a peaceful, easy feeling. Like uh, I I just can't describe it, uh, what it was. It was like I'm watching you and you're watching me and everything's just fine, you know. So I didn't have any fear or anything until the second time when it came back by and our jets was chasing it. And then I, I... was slightly alarmed. I thought, gee, if we're in a world war of the worlds or whatever, I would rather be home with my family and loved ones and be at my yeah. home. So I proceeded to my house quite rapidly after that. And my wife, poor honey, begged me to death not to talk about it. And a typical man goes out there and his lips start flapping the next day. And here, here's the rest of its history, I guess. So. Yeah, we're glad you did because... This is a phenomenal, and it was seen by many people, not just you. And you were with uh, three or four others? Correct. I was with three people. Uh, one of them was one of my best friends from the first grade. Another one, I'd never met the gentleman before, but he he worked for our United States government as a rural mail, mail carrier and uh, just a nice country-type person, you know, the, the, it, I got multiple witnesses from the next several days, people calling in. I, tr- I had a crash course in UFOlogy, I guess. Uh, I tried to mm-hmm. take as many uh, questions and, and what did you see, when did you see it, uh, would you be willing to come forward or not. And, uh, you know, I tried to get as many details as possible. Uh, like I said, I kind of got thrust into the community there. I really didn't know the questions to ask, but I, I had a, pardon the pun, I had a crash course in it, so... Uh, out of all those, I've, I've got quite a few witnesses that did come forward. Some of them was FAA control tower people. Uh, uh, oh, let's see, a navigator with the Air Force, and like I said, several police officers, uh, lots of business owners, high-profile people. There was a state representative. He uh, was reluctant to come forward. I think he did later on, finally came out spoke about what he had seen, you know, he didn't want any recourse in the political arena, I guess, so. Now, you said that, okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Me? Okay, so you said that, you know, you had, uh, I wanted to talk about that a little more, um, after you described this thing, was it, um, what, can you just, I know that there was light. Can you say anything about the solid body of it? No, uh, and uh, this is what's very intriguing as well. It looked to be as a rectangle shape. It had four lights on the outer corners of it, and you couldn't see the craft itself. The craft was invisible. The lights all was traveling in unison, same altitude, same heading, same course, same speed, uh, 
which made us all believe that it was a one one piece or a one vehicle uh, instead of several of them. It did a metamorphosis, like I said, the lights reconfigured several different times before it burst into the flame and then disappeared. So uh, people ask, do you think it's one of ours? And I've, my, you know, it sure could be, but I don't think so. We wish we had one of these. Yeah. It was a, from what I understand, it was a total UFO flap. It wasn't just um, January 8th. Yours, when did you see your craft? Mine Mine was on January the 8th. Uh, there was a gentleman, a machinist, named Ricky Charles, and he mm-hmm. had seen it the night before, and it was very close to him. He It was within 300 foot of him. Was and, that the gentleman uh, who was, was on the ranch, and he said he was standing underneath it? And correct. no matter he which direction you looked, you couldn't see the end his, of it because it was just so large? Right. He was standing underneath it with his deer rifle, and he uh, he was out deer hunting outside. And uh, he pointed his gun at it and was looking at it, and uh, he says it had it was you know it didn't have any seams. It kind of had a gray color to it. Uh, he he was, thought he was going to shoot it at first, and then he thought that might not be the smartest thing he'd ever done. So he laid his weapon down and just uh, just observed it, and it finally went on about its business. So he was he close called, enough to really see that it was yeah. a solid craft, that it wasn't invisible, correct? Correct. Yes, he uh, he caught a lot of flack over it. He had children in school, and they gave you know the other kids gave him a lot of gave his kids a lot of grief. Also had black op helicopters around. He found some shell casings around his house that somebody had left off of weapons that only come from the military. And he had had a colonel call and told him to uh, to just stand down and not say anything about it. He had talked to that colonel several times, I think. So. Uh, anyway, that uh, he was the only one of us that ever encountered any uh, oh, turbulence, I guess you could say, out of lack of a better word to say. Uh, I had lots of interesting phone calls from everything from uh, the leader that made the Learjet to Dr. Edgar Mitchell, the sixth man on the moon, which is a personal friend of mine. I spent Mother's Day with him. Uh, two years ago out in Florida, a very interesting gentleman and his associates so, uh, testified in front of a, a mock Congress in Washington, D.C., May the 1st of last year. Uh, very interesting. We had 40 witnesses of all over the world. Uh, um, most of them was military people, CIA agents, uh, just a, a, a gamut of uh, top officials that had personal experiences or witnessed uh, what's what's actually going on in our country? Yeah, what is your reaction to to the military? Because initially, Major Carl Lewis from Fort Worth Naval Air Station stated um, there were just a bunch of that there was nothing, and then um, that was on January 14th, and on the 24th, um, the U.S. military comes out and says, "Oh yeah, we made an error. It was you know." Military training air, aircraft, and there were 10 of 16 from the 457th Fighter Squadron. Um, there, there wasn't any UFO. Um, what do you have to say to that? Well, very interesting. You brought that up, Adrian. They, uh, they first the uh, the reporter Angela Joyner calls met that Major Lewis at Carswell Air Force Base, or it's actually the Naval Air Station in Fort Worth now. 
and told him the story, and he says, uh, well, let me check on it. I'll get back to you. And so he called Angela back that afternoon and says, well, we think we've got it figured out. It was a reflection off of a high-altitude jet airliner. <laughs> so Angela, Angela calls me up and says that, and it just it just floorboarded me, I guess. You know, that basically we nobody ever asked us a question. They was trying to explain it away. But uh told me that and I said it was what it was was a reflection off of my shiny white ass is what it was. <laughs> Pardon my expression there. So I'm she surprised didn't tell you it was a weather balloon. Yeah. So of all things she calls this major up and tells him exactly verbatim what I said and I don't think they really appreciated that jocularity there. So uh it was quiet for another day or two and then he calls up and says, Yeah, we've got it figured out, Angela, it was a refueling tanker. And uh, so Angela calls me up again and tells me this, that story. And I said, well, you know, it sure could have been a refueling tanker, but it sure wasn't from around here. And uh, then it got quiet again. And then on about the 10th day, like you said, 10th or 11th, on the 24th, whenever, they came, they issued a real nice press release. We did, in fact, have 10 F-16s in the area. And so Angela calls me up and tells me, well, what do you think about that? And I said, you know, it takes a hundred or two hundred people to get one of those things in the air most of the time, and you got ten of them in the air. So it took a, at least a, a thousand to two thousand people just to get ten of these things to fly. You're telling me you didn't know you had ten of these in the air? I could even tell you where my dog's at right now, much less ten of these very valuable F-16s. And so uh, that was the end of their relationship of speaking with the press, I think. So you could tell that uh, afterwards we would call that Major Carl Lewis, and he was under pressure or had somebody scripting him, uh, and he would just read directly from the press release. So I think he probably got reprimanded quite uh, heavily for what what happened. I don't know. Well, F-16s, they don't hover, and they're quite loud. Very loud, very fast. And plus, you're a pilot. I mean, you're almost like an expert witness. They've seen a lot of things out there. And you could tell one from the other. Uh, that's why I find you very well, credible and the, and the story, you know, really fascinating. Because this is not the only thing that happened out there. This has happened, you know, this sounded really familiar to me. Because well, something similar things, I think, uh, happened. You you didn't have to you didn't have to be a pilot or a trained observer. A first grader could have described exactly what he saw to you. You know this was uh, it, like I said it was up close and personal. So you didn't you know there was no mistaking it for a reflection off of a star or whatever. It was right there. I mean if it would have slowed up a little bit, you could have grabbed it or thrown a rock at it or whatever. You know really you know it was there. Uh, it all happened so fast. So, uh, yeah, I, I realize what an F-16 is. They tried to say that I might have been mistaken, but I hit the air shows. I'm pretty up-to-date on technology of what what's out there and aircraft, you know, to identify them. So, uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's we, we consider it one of the most historic events due to the multiple witnesses, and uh, and the radar report. Thank goodness for that. That substantiates everything. You know, you, you don't have to believe us. We have the government's radar report. They don't have a hidden agenda. All they report is what they see. I think that's what's great about it is because so many of the so-called skeptics, debunkers really, you know, they try to discredit witness testimony, and here you have hardcore data that matches up with the testimony. 
many, many testimonies, yeah. That's pretty um, incredible. I'd like to ask a, like a side question, more of a from an emotional perspective. I mean, seeing a UFO is one thing, but what did you feel when you saw something that was just so unimaginably huge? You know, I mean, did did you when you saw it, did did that even occur to you? Like, oh my gosh, how could something like that even be airborne? I mean, what what were the thoughts going through your mind when you saw something that just that something immense? Well, it was a whole gamut of thoughts. It was trying to process what was we seeing, you know, and it, there's just the high intensity of the bright lights was just enough to startle you to start with. You know, what is the size of a, a, a medium-sized pickup truck each light was? So, I mean, they was giant as far as the light-wise goes on an aircraft that close. It, it was just bewildering of what in the world could it be, What what is it, what does it want, what's it doing here. I never had an uneasy feeling until I saw the F-16s chasing it along. So, yeah. uh, And to top that off, the F-16s later over uh, east of our location was reported uh, sound barrier breaking, which that is a, a big no-no. That's against the law. So somebody had to authorize excessive speed to to have obtained that speed to where you break the sound barrier, especially down that low. It rattled the windows of our house. That's how close these two F-16s was. Now, I have a couple questions already in chat. Um, uh, somebody asked, uh, did you see any navigation lights on it? I guess he's trying to identify that. And then, uh, then somebody is going off into... Uh, were you aware of any vibration, like metaphysically speaking, when you were witnessing this event? I think uh, you, you're just starting to talk to us about that now. Yeah, the first uh, the first question, as far as navigation lights, no, it just had those four on each corner of it, is what I've imagined or what I can make out of it. I didn't imagine it, but if, well, that's kind of the aspect that we got of it. It had the seven lights across the back. Now, when it came past us the second time, it had those original seven lights across the back in a horizontal shape, but it also had two round red orbs in the back, like it was a part of its propulsion system or something, because it, it knew those F-16s was behind it, and it was, as far as I'm concerned, it was just toying with them, you know, just playing with them. So, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't anything standard... Uh, navigation running lights that we have on our airplanes or boats or cars or anything in the wildest stretch of your imagination. It just wasn't, you know, it wasn't from anything that we've ever witnessed or seen. As far as the vibration part goes or the metaphysical, uh, I'm a nuts and bolts guy. I don't know, but like I said, when it flew by the first time, I just had the most peaceful, easy, relaxed feeling. It was... uh, uh, almost uh, an enchanted state, I guess. I don't know have a lack of vocabulary or words to describe it. I've never felt anything like that before, and I haven't felt anything like that since. Well, was it along the lines of sort of recognition of something or an answer to something? Uh, it was kind of a euphoric state of some sort. I mean, it was a very relaxed uh, just a, a peaceful, easy feeling is about the best I can describe it. Now, what it came from or why or what, I don't know. Uh, now, my other two friends, 
one of them won't talk about it, period, and the other one has not talked about it any since it happened. So I don't know if they had the, the, that same feeling. We've, we've talked about what we saw, but they, they're very recluse on they won't talk to the public or a reporter or anything else. They they're they just don't uh, don't appreciate it. I guess I don't know. Yeah, they don't want the unwanted out. attention um, or to be labeled as cooks or what have you or something like that. Um, or is it or is it that it's so weird that they they're still trying to get a grasp on I it? I think that I think that probably nailed it right there. It was. Too, just so weird. I see a lot of weird things. I've got businesses and deal with the public, so I see lots of weird things. So uh, it, it wasn't. It was spectacular, yes, for me. But these guys, they don't get to see the weirdness that is out there in the world. They're like I said, they're country fellows, and they they kind of hang out there. And they're they're worldly men. They get out and have been all over the world as well. But they're just not. You know, they're not uh, appreciative of uh, a lot of. Uh, strangers or whatever and they could see that was what was mounting especially after the Larry King deal there was uh, two semi-traders full of people and cameras and lights and action and all that pulled up so from that point on it seemed like they, they got recluse about it and just stepped back away from it but uh, the big deal is you can see something out there quite a bit there's that uh Constable the Leroy Gaten, he's got quite a bit of it on his cop cam that he chases the thing around at night sometimes shortly after that and uh, has some very good footage of it and he'll chase it and sees it. Lots of people see it uh, later on that year. It stopped a football game in Heiko, Texas. It pulled up over the football game and during the middle of a play and the football players looked up and stopped and the refs would still keep trying the ref, and the ref finally looked at the football players, and they was all looking up at the craft that had stopped over the stadium. And so it's, like I said, it, it was front page newspaper. It's, it was a game stopper. So, but people see it quite often, and it's kind of like uh, seeing the sun come up and go down. It's they've, they've just gotten used to it. It's out here quite a bit. The same one. UFO. This, the same big UFO uh, keeps showing up? Uh, we don't know if it's the same one or not, but it uh, has a lot of the same characteristics. And, uh, you know, everybody's got just a little bit different description of it as far as what they saw, which it, I feel like it is the same one. I also feel like it comes and goes from that area. Uh, we held the first women's UFO symposium in 2011, StarWorks USA. And we had a sky watch out there and had lots of cameras out there. And two specialists, one from New York, and I'm not certain where the other one's from, they said that they they both presented, they didn't know each other, they presented me with pictures saying there was a portal out there. And like I said, I'm new at this, so I said, what in the world is a porthole? And they said, not a porthole, it's a portal. And they showed it to me, and, and sure enough, both of them had about the same looking pictures. I thought at first one it could have been a camera anomaly, but after the second person come to me and said the same thing with a different camera and showed it to me. So I don't know if that's pure speculation on their behalf, but uh, from some reason it's seen in that area quite a bit. So it's 
seems reasonable assertion that it could have been, you know, it can be coming and going from that area. Okay, I have another question and um, from Facebook. It says, uh, uh, I'm going to just read her what she says. wondering if uh, Mr. Bush saw it, President Bush, but it, uh, I'm going to do a quote. Among the expert analysis of data received by the investigators from official sources, charts and radar data clearly show the track of an unidentified non-military craft with no transponder beacon vectoring towards Crawford, Texas, the location of the Bush Ranch, also known as the Western White House. So that's kind of going to answer her question. She was wondering, did the uh, president then or anybody else talk about it uh, officially? Probably well, not. I can help answer a little bit of that. He was not at his uh, Western White House when that happened. Usually when he's there, it's a 60-mile radius of a no-fly zone. If he's not there, it's a three-mile radius. And uh, so he was, they send out an alert on your text message or your computer that if he's there, you stay away from that area. Or if you breach that territory, you'll have to pay the consequences of uh, a couple of F-16 escorts. And if you don't do what they want you to, they'll shoot you down. Uh, There's several pilots that's found that out the hard way. So, uh, yeah, no, but to answer their question, no, he wasn't there. And I've never heard any statements. I did make one statement. I know what channels he listens to, news channels, when he's in town. And so I said, please, Mr. Bush, the jig's up, the cat's out of the bag. We're intelligent enough. We're smart enough. You can tell us what's going on. Then after I said that, I got to thinking that may not have been the wisest thing that I ever said. So I was kind of hid out at my office there for a day or two thinking I hope I didn't ruffle anybody's feathers on this but you know seriously you know it's time to for some disclosure here my my point is we're running our planet into the dirt we have the technology to save it uh, we're on an annihilation course if they don't do something and give us some of this technology we're we're in we're in grave trouble I'm afraid so did certain elements of the um Intelligence community, did did they ask you or, or or come to you unofficially to get a statement from you on what you saw or anything of that nature around town, if not you? Well, what's what's the most ironic thing that nobody ever came and asked me anything as far as uh, intelligence community or police or anything like that or the FAA or anybody. They simply was very busy trying to explain it away. That you know. To me, I would at least come over here and say, "Hey, what did you see, buddy? You know, or is there? Can you tell us what you saw and, and try to make a, some sort of a, a conclusion out of it?" But they was busy issuing this excuse and what it could be and what it, you know. So it's no, no. But I did talk to several high-profile uh, people, like I said, uh, John Lear that invented the Learjet and the Sun and and Mitchell, and just a whole gamut of people. It's been uh, been quite an interesting uh, journey, I guess you could say. Yeah, there's another comment in chat that Claudette's um, wondering if your thoughts have been altered since the sighting, or was, did you, you know, you maintain the same viewpoint you basically had all along, uh, and she's, she's talking about also about your concern for the planet. Yeah, that that's interesting. I'm a 
I'm a Southern Baptist, so I've, I've, I'm a Christian. I believe in the in the Bible and Jesus, and so uh, it has not altered my thought. But I have found several places in in the Bible, and also several other places where it references things as far as a UFO. Um, you'd have to be pretty narrow-minded to think we're alone in all the millions of universes and galaxies. So I, my thoughts is we're just one of many. Uh, Inhabited planets in the in the big spectrum of things. So, uh, no, it's it's made me aware of our surroundings and what we're doing to each other, and and it seems to be motivated by money, power, and greed. You know, that's that's basically why why we're in the pickle we're in. Yes. Where did this craft go when you, when you were looking at it and it was going, did it go up into the stars or just farther away in a horizontal fashion? Uh, it was moving horizontal, just at a, a super high rate of speed. It was like it was, uh, it, it moved with impunity. There was nobody, could, I think they probably know that too, that, that could challenge it to, uh, and the first time we saw it, it was moving from east to west. And then the second time we saw it, it was from west to east. I mean, if that something like that landed somewhere, where would it, where would it land? It's pretty huge. Oh, um, it's, it's, yeah. What the, if, if it can land? Uh, I don't know if it's a Hoover craft or I guess it can do anything it wants to. The way it was popping in and out of uh, uh, vision of us. I don't know if it's popping in and out of existence. You know, it's it's that's a stretch, but it sure can cloak itself with invisibility. So uh, I, I guess it can do what it wants to, probably. Yeah, it could be like a liveaboard, too, because why would you need a ship that large? Uh, there must be a reason. There must be a lot of uh, even... If you're speculating, little ships or more people on board. Uh, when you were looking at it, because I, I had a sighting with a best friend, a very close-up sighting of a small craft in, in yeah. the 80s, and I had the impression there were two people driving. Did you have any impression of who was aboard? Like you're Not a bit. Uh, what, what I found unusual, Stanton Freeman, uh, you know, the uh, nuclear physicist or scientist, rather, he, uh, I was speaking with him on Larry King, and he says it is for sure what they call a mothership. Now, what a mothership is, I'm not familiar with it, but I guess it's what, the, like you referenced earlier, where other ships can come and go, or it's got a, a load of people or whatever. Uh, the Japanese film crew brought a really interesting fact. They they came down several times. The Brazilians are very interested. Japanese, uh, we had film crews and interviews from all over the world and the British. But the Japanese, is, uh, I, I, I came back the second time, I had some footage of a, what looked like a hieroglyphics, just a zigzagging around in the sky that a gentleman talk, took, and I bought it. And it's on our Stephenville Lights website on the bottom left of it. I think you can see some of it. But uh, the Japanese says, well, what, what's the significant thing of Stephenville? Why, why do you think it keeps appearing down here and coming and going? What, what do you have going on? And I said, the only thing I know of that's in this area of any great significance is the milk capital of the world. And they all looked at each other, and they said, oh, that explains it. And I said, explains what? And they said, 
they like milk. And I'm thinking, how do you guys know they like milk? <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I thought about that for quite a while, you know, and I thought, well, you know, just think about it. If you're zipping out through space and you're uh, tied up in your ship for a year or two or light year or how, whatever time travel they do, where are you going to stop and get a milkshake? There's no Dairy Queens or McDonald's <laughs> or anything to get a milkshake. So, and then the second thought was, well, no wonder they're so pale and gray and unhealthy. You know, they don't have vitamin D. They can't get milk, you know, and if they get the vitamin D from the sun, it gives them radiation. So, you know, so, <laughs> it, you know, and this is just a little speculation on my behalf, but I kind of thought they might be, they had harvested 65 cows was dead in that area about 30 or 40 years prior to what this happened. And they was uh, cattle mutilations and everything else. And the two brothers that run the ranch got... So wait, uh, hold on a got, second. So there were yeah. cattle mutilations in Stephenville decades before? Yes, not yeah. even in Stephenville, almost near that area where we was at, a little town three or four miles out of town called Selden. And so uh, there was, like I said, there was cattle mutilations of something like about 60 or 65 cows they had found. And these poor... Two brothers was ridiculed literally to death. They they accused them of everything. So uh, me thinking that about this milk meal and these cows, I came to the conclusion they probably got them a test tube cow, or either they they harvested whatever they needed out of these cows so they could have them some cows in that mothership. But they probably wasn't aware of what might come out the backside of that cow, and it may have been a little bit more than they'd bargained for. I don't know. Yeah, um, somebody did ask why more people didn't come out. Um, and uh, sometimes I think people are specifically chosen for this task. And uh, you're very sincere. You always give the same story. You have said the same thing. Uh, I feel that you're being an honest. But I do think uh, that people are actually scared to talk about this because you had mentioned it before that some people have totally shut down and won't even talk about it amongst yourselves. Yeah, some of the best witnesses shut down, as you would say. They they wouldn't talk about it. I don't know if they're... And I'm the furthest thing from a public spokesperson. I can barely, barely carry on a conversation here, but, I'm, you know, I'm just not good in front of a crowd. But uh, it was just something that I felt like it had to be done, you know. Uh, and why, I don't know. So you may be right on being a chosen person to to talk about it or whatever, but we had so many witnesses that wouldn't come forward that we had two town hall meetings with the 150, MUFON called the first one, and we had 150 witnesses show up, and then the second time, uh, Steve Fox, out of the blue, you know, the movie person from California, held the second one and got some amazing footage from a lot of different witnesses and different cameras, but these people around here feel like it's a daily event, and they really not at a shock and awe. It's gone, you know. The, the appeal of it has, has vanished, you know. They just think it's a normal thing down here. They've gotten used to it because uh, it's happening quite frequently. Now, we have a caller, and, he's, and they're from the same area code. So area code um, 817, I'm going to have you live on the Paranormal and the Sacred. Thank you for waiting so long. What's your first name, please? Hello. Hello. Uh, Hi, did you want to have a comment? 
Well, uh, yes, I didn't know when I was on or not. So yeah, what's, this your, is, what's uh, your first name? Tammy. Hi, Tammy. From Costa Rica, yes. Thank you. Okay. Uh, what was your question for our guest tonight? I was just curious about how um, the impact is um, from his uh, relationships from it just since this happened with the government, say in the last uh, five years after the sightings, increase relationships or less? She wants to know how it, has this affected your relationships, Steve? Uh, interesting question. Well, I, I heard her mention the government there. It seems like they put out as a lot of disinformation, uh, is what I've noticed that they put out is whether they put it out or it's paid for or whatever I don't know, but there's there's a lot of deception and, and bickering amongst the people that's involved in the field. If they would all work together, we might actually get something done. Uh, everybody tries to grab the spotlight or whatever. If that's the last thing I like is the spotlight. I'm I'm kind of recluse myself, and I don't get out a whole lot, but uh, to get this thing taken care of, I will. As far as my relationship, I told my ex-wife when it happened uh, several years ago, I read the statistics that 75% of the people where one one spouse sees it and the other one doesn't results in a divorce the first year. And we thought that was a little humorous, but sure enough, about three years later, there it happened, you know. We'd been together for 17 years and had a very successful life and business and everything. So whether or not that happened or not, she didn't want to have anything to do with it. It uh, uh, just was kind of repulsive, I guess, to her. I don't know. Yes, but I guess maybe uh, let let me refine the question. So... um... So would you say that your relationship with um, the government outside of where you live and your wife and your family and, you know, just the city right where you live has expanded and grown with the government in some form or fashion? Uh, Since Since the sighting? I don't think so, no. It's all stayed about the same. Uh, we don't, thank goodness, we don't have a whole lot of government out here. We have, of course, our sheriffs and our uh, local police force and just a, a structure of a court system. You know, we, we're not, uh, we don't have a lot of senators, congressmen, or anything else we have to deal with. So most of these people are our personal friends, and we know them or know of them, you know, and help them get in office or vote them in or out or whatever. So uh, I don't. Okay, so, so what about what about in and um, uh, besides locally, just locally, um, like I, from Washington have, and. Yeah, I have had some contact with congressmen, uh, two of them during our mock congressional hearings. So I, I have carried on a little dialogue with them. They are literally in the dark when it comes to paranormal or UFOs or anything. When we did our testimonies up there at the Washington Press Club in Washington, they was just literally at all. I mean, it was a jaw-dropping experience. You could have, uh, you know, knocked them over with a feather, as the old cliche says. So they, they're, 
they're oblivious to what's going on out there. I don't think they're in touch. Yeah, I think they're that really out of touch. Now, no, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah it does. It really does. Yeah. yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So, thank, thank you so much, that. Tammy. I'm gonna put you. I'm gonna thank put you, you on hold to just continue to listen. Okay, thank I want to thank you so much. Bye bye. Thank you. Wow. She sounded like she knew more. <laughs> I just was wondering. <laughs> she had that sense of authority that maybe she's even seen something. Don't you think? It's, it's very possible. You never know. I think very there's a possible. majority of people that majority of people that believe in it and has seen seen something. That, and like you said earlier, that's not willing to come forward. And I've made the statement: if it hadn't have been for one of these other two people out there, I would have never said a word about it. I'd have just kept my mouth shut. But they was right there with me when this happened, and and it just got out of control right away. I did. I'd never, in my wildest imagination, expected the the path it took. Which I'm glad it did. I wouldn't take you know if I had it to do all over again, I'd do the same thing. Given what you've stated about how. Um, Congress, or many of them, or maybe perhaps all of them, are oblivious to what's going on. Um, isn't that one of the stumbling blocks or hurdles to get over as far as disclosure? Because how can they disclose what when they don't even know themselves? Yet it's evident that certain other agencies outside Congress, i.e., intelligence or military, might know a, a bit more. Um, what are your views on all that, that I, what I've just stated? Well, I think you nailed it pretty well. I think our elected officials is just exactly that. They're in the office for two, or two years or four years or eight at best, and then they're gone. And so I think these generals and, and colonels and things like that, that is career uh, military people that's been in the military for 20, 30, 50 years, I think they're in control of it. They know about it. And you can't go telling all these uh, politicians about it because they'll use it for their own goals or extort it or whatever. You know, who knows what they would do with it. But you can't trust them because they're just there for a brief amount of time. And these are, these other people, they're, they're there for the duration, you know. And, and if you'll go to CIA Anonymous, it's got the deathbed confession. It's 17 minutes at Richard Dolan did an interview with a CIA agent, and uh, he was with the Eisenhower administration. Very compelling. That was uh, part of the testimony at Washington. So uh, he tells pretty well what how it's going and what happens. It's, uh, you know, I was, I, I had to watch it several times before I finally said, gee, that guy, he was, he's for real. I know some people that's known him since the late 80s and said, yeah, he is for real. That's what he's saying did happen. So. Uh, oh, so the, the the you mean that gentleman that Richard Dolan was interviewing in the that hotel the one, the one that was um, dying is that the gentleman you were yes, referring that, to? Exactly that one is in the rest home. He was in a rest home on his deathbed, basically a deathbed confession. And what was the most compelling part of it when it was over, when the interview was over, the older gentleman just took a deep breath and says. I'm so glad I got rid of that that off of my shoulders. That was it's been a burden to carry with me for all these years. I feel much better already. And I mean, it made you want to cry, but uh, just just you know, he he was talking about the sundown clause. He had been sworn to secrecy for 50 years, and so he did his 50 years, and he's going to talk about it. You know, 
of course, if you're about to die, what are they going to do, kill you? You know. So. Sure. I find it interesting that you said, so you know friends who knew him in the industry, so that, would, that actually, validates his background, correct? Actually, Linda Moulton Howell knew the man since the 80s. Right. Oh, okay. If that's a big enough name, there it is. Yep. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, there was a, a couple questions that, that people are asking is that um, there could be an underground base there, and then uh, because of the, the layout, and also that um, could you give us that address for the deathbed confession place again, uh, site again? Uh, you just go to YouTube and uh, plug in CIA UFO deathbed confession, and it'll show it. It's 17 minutes long. It's very I highly recommend watching it. Okay, good. Thank you for that. I don't. Uh, it, it should be relatively easy. Oh, good. Thank you. And then um, what was, uh, you know, how have you carried on since? Uh, Somebody made a good point. They said that the intelligence would have been after you if they didn't already know about it. And their feeling was that that our military intelligence knew about it. That's why they weren't really scrambling to get people silenced or anything else like they did back with the Area 51 situation and that maybe our military knows about it, but they're kind of helpless to do anything about it. Like you said, there was uh, 10 uh, jets after it, yet they weren't firing on it. Usually when they fire, they, we would even fire on our own airplane that was acting crazy out there. Yeah, that uh, you've got a very valid question there. I don't know. Uh, I don't think they got close enough to be able to fire on it. Uh, especially that's a pretty populated area. I mean, we're out in the country, but everybody has uh, anywhere from 20, 30, 40 to acres to several thousand acres. So there is people in houses out through there. I don't just don't see them firing a rocket out there. Or, you know, I, I just don't know. That's you know, that's speculation on my behalf. Uh, ironically enough, you did mention an underground base. Linda told me, she says, uh, Linda Moulton Howell came down a week after that, and she says, you know, there's supposed to be a base of some sort out here. And I said, I've been here for 50-some-odd years. i never heard of it. And uh, I got to looking and listening, and sure enough, I found one. It's not marked on an aeronautical chart, so I went and flew over it, and it's got two runways on it and everything, and it looked like it had been active. You could see the black marks where the tires of aircraft had been touching it and taken on and off. Come to find out, this base was first Lockheed Martins, and then they gave it up, and it became General Dynamics base. And it had a guard shack with a Hummer with a 50 caliber machine gun sitting out there all the time. Now, how I missed all this, 10 miles down the road from me, I don't know. So I get in my little airplane, I go fly around over there, and I'm circling, uh, I'm way up high. At first, I'm taking lots of pictures, and the more I circle, the lower the altitude I got. I know, I know they saw me up down to about 500 foot, still taking pictures. And uh, went back and analyzed them, and there's one giant hangar, you know, that you put an aircraft in, but there's no road going to it. The, you know, the hangar door is massive. It's the size of a half of a football field. And I thought, well, why would you have a door if you don't have a, a runway or a tarmac going into it? You know, how in the world? And it also had 13 smokestacks or exhaust stacks. 
And I thought, what are they incinerating or burning out there, you know? And here comes some more questions and answers again. Uh, the base out there is currently abandoned. I haven't, I've flown over it quite a bit and looked at it, but it's, I don't see any activity at all out there. Supposedly there is some stuff underground, but I know some people that live in the area, and they said when it was active, they had a F-16 sitting up on the mountain, and they would shoot radar at it until they could make it become invisible. And so that was Lockheed Martin's and General Dynamics' job. And they would hear a jet engine run, and then all of a sudden it would turn off, and you couldn't hear it at all. Instead of spooling down like a jet does, it would just go totally silent. That was from neighbors in that area that I had interviewed. I just think yeah. it's interesting how it all ties in. I mean, you got the cattle mutilation. You got also the these um, alleged underground bases, and then this huge sighting. I mean, it's it's just fascinating how it all ties in in your area. And the milkshake. Don't forget that. <laughs> well, these are out of space milkshakes that they don't want to pay for, so they're coming in to abduct the poor cows, poor things. They always yeah, get the wrong yeah. of the deal. So it's, uh, I don't know. It's now, since since this has happened, uh, you you're traveling quite a bit to uh, speak with other people. So what are you hearing, uh, and what kind of feedback are you getting around the country about? What they're doing here, and what do they what do they want? Because I feel like that was intentional. Because they could have easily stayed high and above or anywhere where we can see them. And why do they present themselves once in a while? Uh, that's a good question. I do have a friend that uh, had worked with the government, one of the Alphabet Soup Boys, and he worked at a base where they came and go. They come and go from there all the time. They fly their craft in. He saw them. Everything he's told me, he, he's he's granted an interview with one person, and I've got to get her to him and get this interview done. He claims he'll be dead within a week or ten days after the interview, but I've heard the whole story. It uh, and this guy, he's straight up and down. He couldn't lie to you if his mother's life depended on it. He would still shoot straight with you. He's just that type of you know. Alphabet Soup Boys, they recruit some of the top-notch guys, and he's one of them. And uh, so some of the stories he's told me, I don't know. He doesn't even know. They're doing some experiments on the earth, and uh, what it's for or what it does, we don't know. But they're working with our government, and it's it's very classified. And you feel that uh, this has something to do with the abductees then? Possibly. I don't know. I don't know that word was out a while back that we had shot down a craft and it had a lot of arms and body parts and legs in it. And that was a very reliable source I got that from. We shot down like 20 crafts. What are we doing shooting these guys down? Can't you make friends with them? Or are they that dangerous to where we need to keep them at bay? Or, uh, you know, here's some more questions. I don't know. You mean they shot down more and they signed body parts uh, in with the crafts? In one of them, yeah. One of the crafts that was shot down uh, was full of body parts, yeah. What was it? When was this, Steve? Um, 
I don't have an exact date on that. I couldn't even begin to tell you. The the span of the 20 that they shot down was uh, shortly after Roswell, and it went all the way up to about in the 90s. Yes. Wow, interesting. So uh, what have you written a book on this, or... Uh what are, what are you what are you doing about the the many details? Because we really are so detail oriented. If you didn't notice, that all of us, even our callers in the chat, want to know every single detail because we're really interested. And in, a lot of us are experiencers, and we want to compare notes. Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't wrote one. I've had it. Uh, I'm not uh, I'm not a scholar by any chance. I guess I could get a ghostwriter. And, have him or her hang out with me and possibly get one carved out. I keep quite a bit of notes on things. Uh, there's There's been some details. You know, like I said, I've had, had time with quite a few of these different people and some of their stories, you know, that's quite compelling stories. And uh, they haven't come come out and went public with them. Now, and why, what the reason is, I don't know, but just I don't I, possibly they're sworn to secrecy or whatever, but... Yeah, it's a, we've lost more technology than we have, whatever it is. Yeah, I agree. The call-in number tonight is 619-924-9744. If you want to call and ask a question of our guest tonight, Steve Allen, thank you. And, um, and Steve, what, are you still, because you just got back from a trip, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I went to contact in the desert at Joshua Tree, uh, last month, I think. Let's see. This is September. Yeah, it's been about a month and a half since I've been out there. And then before that, of course, I spoke at Zero International in Los Angeles for Yvonne Smith there, which is doing a lot of good work. Thank goodness for people like her. Just just wherever I don't accept any money, I usually spend my own money to get to where I'm going and take care of everything myself. Uh, I don't want it to get polluted and say, yeah, he's out there for the notoriety and he's making all that money. I, I travel on my own money. Uh, I'm most fortunate and been blessed to where I can do this and carry on with our disclosure project here. So Stephen Bassett, I might add, is out in your area or in California, and he's doing probably oh, yeah. more single, single-handedly more than anybody in the whole uh, arena of, UFOlogy. He is. Uh, he's. He's put it all out there. I mean, he's. He's. He's the one that's made a lot of things happen in these congressional hearings. You know, he's office in Washington, and he's actively pursuing it. I mean, he has literally given up his life to do this to take to help out the cause. He really has, because uh, I'm here. He's local to me, so I get to see him you know, quite often, and uh, we're often in a, uh, have a circle, of chat circle of friends and have people up, and it's uh, quite incredible how he's tirelessly doing this. He just goes and goes and goes. I don't know how he does it. Now, I understand he had some pretty high-level meetings last week in New York uh, with quite a few yeah. different people, and I guess he's in Europe now. I'm not sure where he's at now, but I did hear about the New York venture that uh, it was quite quite intriguing I guess so hopefully we'll get to a resolve on this and the more people that come out and talk about it and have their have their uh, 
story told, you know, that's the better. You know, there's strength in numbers. Yeah, there really is. We have a question in chat. Do you feel as though you're connected to um, this, uh, the entities, whatever they are, somehow? And do you feel that, I guess, are you being visited or abducted yourself? Very interesting question. Yeah, that almost left me speechless. I don't know to tell you. I'd I'd like to give you a big IDK on that. I don't know for sure, but yeah, I I feel some sort of connection uh, with it. I don't know if we're still connected or I'm one of their little social experiments, or I belong to them or God or who I what what actually the the thing is. I don't think they're following me. I don't think I've been abducted. Uh, but it is possible, I suppose. I don't know. I'm kind of a nuts and bolts guy. I, I like to be able to have a radar report and maybe put my hands on it or let me fly it or look at it or kick the tires on the thing or whatever. So uh, you've got to really show me something before I'll buy into it or talk about it, you know. And, and I understand a lot of these experiencers, I've heard them, they're very compelling, and, and eyewitness to it, like Grant Cameron and several others, you know. So it's, it, that's for real. I mean, there's no, there's, I'd like to explain that away, too, and I'm sure they would, too. But uh, it, Both Char and I are experiencers. Yeah, we are, too. So that's how we got into this whole thing, and just trying to keep the word out. And also, uh, the more we talk about it, I feel like there's safety in numbers. You know, I think that there's a certain element in the uh, military or the community, you don't have to say military, but whatever, that really want to silence people that experience these extraordinary things. And uh, that that's why we just keep talking and we keep, and plus we're hungry for information. And it, it seems to take, it it's kind of propels you forward. Do you feel that way, Steve? You're being propelled? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think so. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's the more people that come together, I, you know, there was, we went to Giant Rock at Joshua Tree a while back out north of town, and it used to be, uh, some sort of, uh, a UFO phenomena area or whatever, and it's my understanding they had quite a few thousand people out there in 1910. Now, who would have thought popularity of UFOs or uh, extraterrestrial or phenomena was that large back then, but it could just be a rumor, but I heard there was like uh, 11,000 people showed up out there. And no facilities. This thing is out in the middle of the desert out there. Now, whether or not any of that was true, but there's a lot of people that go out there and congregate and gather that uh, of like experiences. So it's in Joshua Tree as well, so. Yeah, I think the more the more uh, oh meeting places and uh, events we have, the more people can connect and and kind of get in a comfort zone, I guess, you know, and and meet other people that's shared some of the same experiences. And you know, it's it's always good to talk to people about a problem, whatever it is, you know. Yeah. How did the town react when? Um... UFO hunters showed up on the scene and started conducting their own investigations. How did you and everybody else react to that? 
Well, by the time Ryan's and his crew had showed up, they was uh, sick of it. Flat, I didn't even appear on the show for some reason. Now, why, how and why that happened, I don't know, but uh, they didn't get a lot of cooperation because they had been inundated with uh, people from all over the globe. I don't know why they didn't like that because that's cash flows into your community, you know. And But uh, for some reason, they... they I don't know. They didn't give them that warm, fuzzy feeling welcome, is my understanding. I was out of town part of the time on that that event, so <laughs> they they threatened. Uh, his, that was a History Channel, as a matter of fact, and the UFO tape that I was talking about that looked like hieroglyphics. I had bought that from uh, David Carone for $50. Just so happened one of the sheriff's department guys was there in my office when I bought it. All of us go down to the mailbox and mail it to myself, just rich man's copyright, I guess, or poor man's copyright, rather. So it wasn't very long after uh, History Channel had came down here. They called me up and they said, you need to get that off your website. That belongs to us. And I said, what? And they said, we spoke about it, you know. And I said, no, that's actually mine. I bought that a while back. They said, no, we paid $8,000 for it and the camera, and you need to get it off of there. And I said, if you'd have told me, I'd have gave you a copy of it, and you wouldn't have had to pay nothing for it. Well, we don't know, but if you don't get it off your website, we're going to sue you. And I said, well, and get all the copies back. I said, there's probably quite a few copies out there running around. They said, you need to get all those copies gathered up. And I said, well, the sheriff's department has a copy. What do you want me to do, run over there and pull a gun on them and take it away from them or what? And he was quiet, and I, he says, well, we're going to sue you. And I said, well, you all do what you have to do. <clears throat> and uh, that was the last I'd ever heard from History Channel. But most unfortunate, them paying $8,000 some, for something I could have gave them, you know, if they had just asked for it. They tried to reenact with their they, – they did for a fact. They tried to reenact that uh, hieroglyphics deal with that the same camera he took it with and uh, couldn't reproduce what he did. Now, I have the original, and as he's he's standing on his front porch, and he's using a corner post for a uh, <clears throat> corner post of his porch for a tripod to keep his camera steady. So uh, I can see the background of trees and a house, and they're all staying perfectly still while this thing's out there doing its light show. So it tells me he wasn't moving the camera around and, making a deceptive film and somebody else had asked well do you think he could have doctored that up and I said this is the nicest guy in the world but he's not intelligent enough and doesn't know anybody to to help him with that and if the history channel tried to re- recreate it and they didn't do it you can bet it's probably real yeah um, what has has this Altered your world view because I, mean, I can just imagine you before and after. You know that um, you know once once you see something and know things are totally different than what everybody says they are or most people say they are. Doesn't it alter your world view? Uh, absolutely, and it's like James Foxy's, and I'm not a pitch man for him or Larry King or anybody, but James has a movie out that seeing is believing in or out of the blue also. 
It is. Once you see it, you believe it. I mean, it's just there it is. It's, there's no denying it. And, yes, it did alter my world worldly view, I guess. I've always thought that, uh, you know, of course the government's not, we've got the best nation in the world, but it still has its problems and uh, a lot of cloak of secrecy, you know, and it's it's made it aware to me, you know, of all our little black op projects we've got going on and billions and trillions of dollars that get dumped into these projects to where we don't know where that money went or what it went for, so yeah, we're up to we're up to our ears and something, whatever it is, whether it's no good or not. Uh, I don't know. Well, you raise a good point that a lot of there's a lot of money going into these um, projects, and what are they doing with them? I, perhaps part of it's trying to find out what's, what's going on with with the UFO thing. Um, I think, in my view, part of the issue with uh, the disclosure thing is, you know, once you admit they're here, then it gives credibility to, or at least then it gives, um, you have to, one has to entertain the notion, especially the skeptics, that, oh, maybe some of the subduction stuff is true. And perhaps um, they don't know how to deal with that. Well, that as well. And how do you cover up 70 years of lying? You know, you're going yeah. to have to open up, open up some sort of an immunity. Gee, if you'll come forward, we're not going to prosecute you for lying to the, the world for so many years and, and cover-ups and and who knows what all transpired. You know, I'm sure there's some murders involved and, and other heinous crimes. I don't know. You know, it's uh, he's, it's it's you know, it's just bewildering what all it. Uh, and they don't think we can handle it. I, I don't think they have a handle on it themselves. I think they've got to kind of have an idea of what's going on, and they probably work with them, but I don't think they control them by any shape, form, or fashion. Okay, so we have a question from Facebook. Has anybody ever approached you uh, from the government that tried to hush you up or anybody else that you know that had this sighting? No, they have not approached me, but like I was saying earlier, they have approached Ricky Sorrells, uh, a colonel in the Air Force, and also sent him some helicopters out to kind of buzz them late at night and uh, tried to rattle him. They uh, and I'd had one conversation, and they said, gee, they don't know what to do about you, but all they know is all you know is what you saw, and that's all you know, so you're okay. I said, well, that's good. <laughs> and at that time, at that time, I was writing about 180 paychecks a week, and if I'd have come up missing, there'd have been 180 pretty rough guys that would need their money, you know, and they'd probably be asking yeah. a lot of questions and stirring up a lot of activity. So I, I attribute part of that for my safety. So I do, and I think you do have a inner strength, and you you uh, just you just tell the truth straight out and uh, I don't see how they could really frighten you into shutting up anyway or there's too many eyes on you now and that's why I think it's good to come out and just talk about it and be honest. Like Robert Salas, you know, Captain Robert Salas has always been open and honest the whole time. He was gathering yes, documents and everything else and he never he never varied, he never told them what he, you know, he just was just honest as a matter of fact and it and to this day, it's the same thing, you know, and he has an extraordinary, they stopped him 
finally they stopped giving him paperwork, but he got a lot of stuff and he just stays by it. And, you know, I really admire you guys that are just, just steadfastly, you know, moving forward. And um, I just wonder if, you know, in our lifetime, if our government will fess up. Uh, if they have knowledge of what's happening to us, because there's no way that they don't know what's going on when uh, during a couple of my abductions, I have seen military there. Mm. Our military. Yeah, they're going to have to, uh, I think it's going to take a smoking gun, per se, uh, uh, just a Mm -hmm. flat, look at this, look what we have, you know, now what can you say? I think that's what it's going to take, uh, we possibly have a, a donor with a lot of money, and we're going to try to put a reward out in the near future of give us some substantiating, irreputable evidence, and we'll pay you. And then we haven't came to the conclusion of what that's going to be, but that comes back to my greed-powered money. Somebody will see that much cash laying there and say, gee, I've got this sitting in my garage or, or this that can mm-hmm. just flat blow the lid off of that, so... We hope that might yep. accidentally change it. You know, we've tried every different other way, but uh, you lubricate a squeaky wheel and it'll it'll be quiet, you know, maybe. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. that's right. We have a, a, a question from Chris in chat. And he says, Does you, do you have any uh, favorite author or personality within the UFO community with whom you feel is more or less deserving of uh, your respect? Meaning, who do you like in this field? Who do you respect? Well, there's quite a few of them. As a matter of fact, uh, like I was saying, Stephen Bassett a while back, that uh, he, I've, I've got a lot of respect for him and what he's doing. Uh, anybody that just lays it all on the line and gives their life up, up for it, so there's a good one. Stanton Friedman's another good one. Uh, and Grant Cameron, of course, he's he's a, a great one. You know, that's another one that's, is there, uh, and there's more of them that seems to be emerging that is, and, and you can't leave out any of them, you know, there's Richard Dolan's yeah. and all the, all the ups that's just spent countless hours and, and dedicated their life to it, you know, so uh, right. no particular, yeah. and I, I did fall in love with the guy that wrote the Chariots of the Gods, I saw him at uh, Joshua Tree and listened to him, uh, Eric Von, uh, oh, what's his last name? Don Duncan, right? Duncan, yes, yes. I, I think he is a, a genuine uh, person as well, and he's he's been after it since the '60s. Is when Chariots came out, is in '66, I believe. So he's been tirelessly after it, and is in Switzerland now, I believe. But uh, he's he's another one that I have a lot of respect for. Just all of them, you know. And and if you can't, if you can keep your you know, your demeanor about you and not let it consume you. You know, you can do a lot better work than I, I see some people that get burnt out or get consumed or just, uh, you know, just get frustrated with the UFO community. And like I said, I see a lot of them work against each other and it, it just sets you back so far. You know, if everybody could pull together and go in, go in one direction, we would get there in a hurry. But you get get so many people for whatever their reason is that uh, goes goes against it and it's 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 a travesty. Yes, it sure takes so many of us. 
I think everybody is playing their part and everybody is coming together as part of the puzzle uh, for this whole big question of why, why is it happening, and that what does it mean for our future. But I think we're uh, compelled and also uh, there's a meaning behind this. I feel, I don't know if you feel this way, Steve, I know, Adrian, you do, that I feel there's a great meaning behind all this. You know, spiritually, uh, physically, uh, even uh, mentally, you know, intelligence-wise. There's something uh, profound about this whole experience. Well, you look at it, you know, you've got pictures of uh, petroglyphs or hieroglyphs in in uh, caves that's 50,000 years old that shows a flying saucer and a man sitting in it. Now, those people can barely even light a fire, much less come up with a flying saucer technique. So that tells you they've been here for a long time. And, of course, you know, you get the wonders of the worlds like Stonehenge, the pyramids, Montepichu. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of things that we don't have the technology today to build some of that stuff. Couldn't build it if we had to. So how did the primitives cut those stones and move them and, and get them to those heights? You know, it, it, it's just so I feel like they've been here. They're probably just doing a little watch, and you know, it could be some of their experiment. It could just be uh, just watching, see how we progress. You know, it's just a my buddy that works at the base with the Alphabet Soup Boy says that they're seventy thousand years advanced from us. The species that he deals with, and of course, if you listen to the Eisenhower tapes and all that, he says there's four main, there's 57 species here, four main species, two of them are good, one's they don't know about because it keeps lying to them, and one that's definitely bad. So, you, so you're saying you have a, a friend or acquaintance who um, is associated with the what you call the alphabet boys? Um, yes. And they, and he indicated to you that they, they are aware that they're beings that are seventy thousand years ahead of us. Yes, the ones that they was dealing with is seventy thousand years more advanced. What are they doing with them? Are they having some sort of agreement, or how do they know about? Them? I would say there would have to be some sort of an agreement. It's uh, it's real touchy the way he described it as far as how and what was going on out there is almost a giant cloak of secrecy and he was, the government's so compartmentalized that you can be sharpening your pencil but you don't know what it's for, you know, you hand that pencil off, well the guy's going to write with it obviously, but you know, you just don't know, you know, could be to stab somebody in the eye, I don't who knows, you know so he he was not privileged to a lot of uh, uh, outside things other than what he actually just visibly saw coming and going and dealing with them. He he dealt with the ships and the aliens both. Hmm. Well, so, I hope they know uh, what they're doing the because wild. in my it view, um, yeah. you're dealing with something that more advanced. There's no reason for them to have any agreements, and if they do, um, they're up to something, and we're at the disadvantage. Well, he thinks they're up to something anyway that uh, our, our there's no uh, reason for them to trust. Yeah. Yeah. He he doesn't trust them. He says they we were he he had a couple of choice words. Basically, we're screwed. But uh, I don't know about that. You know, he's he he doesn't he doesn't know enough to make that calculation as far as what I've gathered from listening to him. You know, he just just has that gut feeling. You know. 
do you feel uh, do you get a sense of maybe not that only that they're not to be trusted, but perhaps um, they're being forced to do stuff that they don't want to do by these quote unquote guests? Yeah. Uh, Coerced, I think that's a good word. I just have no fear of them. I feel like, you know, they've been here probably way before man came by. And the second thing is, if they wanted to vaporize us, chances are they could push a button in their ship and the whole, this world would not be there. Uh, now, what they're here for is a different question, you know, whether they have to give a choice few of us and harvest information or, or DNA or whatever they're doing. I don't know. You know, that's another pure speculation deal, but I, two weeks into this deal, I had gotten probably zero sleep. You know, I'd get about 10 or 15 minutes a night, and I started to look pretty, Look, it was starting to show. And a reporter had been coming down doing a, a afternoon edition with me every day, and so I'd, she'd skipped several days there, and her name was Carol Cavias, Channel 11 in Fort Worth. She came down to do an interview with me on about the second week, and she says, oh, my gosh, you look terrible. You're going to be dead pretty soon. And I thought, and I said, what happened? And she says, well, look at yourself. And I looked at, in the mirror, and I had big bags under my eyes. And like I said, I didn't get a fill of beans for sleep there. So uh, I finally got a hold of myself and said, look yourself. You know, these guys, they've been here forever, and if they wanted to get us, they probably could, and there's nothing we could do about it, so. I started to get a little bit of sleep after that, but not much. I haven't really slept in five years, to tell you the truth, so, or six, whenever this happened a while back. So it definitely affected my sleep pattern, and, yes, it affected my life. I feel like it affected it for the best. I also feel like I was blessed getting to see this. So what the reasoning is, I don't know. Well, I feel like there's a big reason that once you, okay, so once you see this, you're changed forever because you now know that it really is true and these things really exist beyond our comprehension, and that's how it changes you because I have seen that, and that's what happened to me. Now I know when people say, oh, there's no UFOs, oh, there's no alien life, or, or you know, all this other stuff, and I go, well, I have seen it, you know, but then it t- turns out to be a big discussion of those who haven't seen and those who have seen, and to me, uh, the people who have seen it are just as valid as the people who say they haven't seen it. Like, you know, I have uh, even even had an argument in one of my sociology classes because a teacher did not believe in God. I said, okay. So there's 100 of us in the class, 50 of us looking out one window, 50 of us looking out the other window, and at the other window we actually saw a big gorilla carrying a refrigerator walking by a window. We all say we saw a big gorilla right now. It's, a, it's carrying a refrigerator now. And everybody else said, well, I didn't see it. It isn't true. So that's the point. You didn't see it. So how can yeah, you but I think there's a difference, though, as far as, um, I mean, the God analogy and the UFO, because the UFO, there's just like in this case with Steve, you have empirical data, corroborating testimony. There's also photos and other cases. I mean, there's just so much empirical data. Uh, I think the ones that say they're not here just haven't bothered to look at the data. Whereas when we're, when we're talking about, you know, the uh, religion, um, that's a whole other matter. Really, 
can be just belief because you have no real data. Uh, maybe some personal now experience. Now, listen to you. I have data. Right. I'm saying we have our own experiences, but also to yeah. validate. I mean, I've never seen a UFO, too, but I've been an abductee. But at the same time, I say, okay, well, they must be here. And is there corroborating hardcore evidence? I mean, Stephenville case is a perfect one. I mean, you have the horror case. You have the coin case of 73. I mean, it just list goes, goes on and on over these hardcore cases. And so one can logically infer, yeah, okay, there's definitely something going going on here that's that's real. So that's what I would argue in your sociology class. It's different. Um, it's not just, you know, a belief. Well, my belief and your belief, okay, so our beliefs are equal. No, because we have a justified belief, like we would say in philosophy, backed up with empirical data that matches up, I mean, with good witnesses, too. So yeah. that's my take on it. True, I agree. Have a very historical sighting, you know, and it's it's not like Roswell. Well, we had uh, had something that happened sixty, seventy years ago. This is current. It's current events, uh, right? And it just happened at the right time, at the right place. Whatever we did, you can't get any more radar data. I mean, you go through a Freedom of Information Act. They'll say, "Sorry, this is national security," so you can't. We've tried to get some more and hit a brick wall. Do you have, okay, we have another question. Um, do you have a fear of them coming back, or, as you said, are they coming back all the time? So the fear fear isn't quite as, you know, or the shock is kind of over with. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any fear of them. I mean, they're, they're obviously very powerful. You know, anybody that can do what they do can, can probably, uh, uh, Outmaneuver us in any form or fashion of whatever we was trying to do. So, no, you can't. Uh, I don't have any fear at all of it. I just came to the rest easy, peaceful conclusion that, you know, we'll just take it a day at a time and try to get to some resolve of it. But, no, no fear. Well, that's great. So, what are your plans for the future and how can people contact you and, uh, do you have any projects coming up? Uh, yeah, we have a big one in Laughlin, Nevada, which I will be at. I'm not speaking at it, but I go to all of them at Starworks USA, and that's Paula Harris is hosting that event. We had one in Chicago last year, or this year actually, back in February or March, I believe and then had one in Sebring, Florida the year before that. And so she's, and then we had the first women's UFO symposium here in Texas in 2011. So she continues it on. That's my next big one that I'll be going to in November, I believe. I'll have to get the date on that. I think and, it's commendable uh, that you're doing um, everything, the Daryl Sims too, um, where you're you're doing everything for free, giving out information for free, because I believe that too. I mean, um, especially with the age of the Internet, my opinion is, you know, the days of writing books and, you know, having it on Amazon uh, or, or just selling it, I think that's not needed. People should create it as a PDF, put it online, disperse it out for free. Everything I put on my own website, com, it's out there for free. Any essays that I write, write 
um, to get people thinking about and bring awareness because we're talking the most important thing that's happening to humanity that's raising our consciousness. And there's no time for like, well, buy the book and then you'll know the answer sort of garbage. You know, yeah, um, you. it needs to get out there and for, <laughs> and for free. There's the Internet, put it out, you know. Um, we don't need to deal with publishers or deal with agents or anything. Just do it yourself, put it out there. And so I commend you on, on using that approach of just getting out there and doing it. Well, you're 100% right, but uh, and a lot of people have to rely on a book sale or whatever, and I'm not knocking them a bit. I was just very fortunate and blessed to be in the situation I am to where I can research it and travel and uh, and do it on my own time. And uh, I just feel like uh, I don't want to cloud the uh, arena, I guess you could say, and oh, yeah, Steve's over there for the money and look at him, he's doing this or doing that just strictly for the money. Well, I, I can't be bought, I, you know. If you but it's okay, but I think, today, said, but I think it's okay to be dollars shut up. I won't, you know. So. I think it's okay to be compensated. Let's say if somebody wants you to travel across the country, I think that's okay for them, you know, to be to okay. You want me to talk? Well, <laughs> I don't have the money to fly over there. You know, fly me over there and then I'll talk for free. You know, that sort of thing. I think that's okay for you to do. Yeah, yeah, I, and, and it, it probably is. Just I don't. You know, I don't need it, so I can I can probably travel around pretty well at, at the greatest of ease. I get free airline tickets, so there you go. So I, the cat's out of the bag now. So that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. And how good are those seats? That's that's another good thing. You get rest when you're going traveling. Has oh people, yeah, yeah. Have people uh, from oh, different parts oh. of the world contacted you, like England or Germany or anything like that? Uh, yes, I've been contacted pretty well from everywhere, from India, uh, England, Germany, Austria, Brazilian film crew's been up two or three times, Japanese two or three times. Uh, uh, let's see, uh, oh, there's even Iceland contact. They have a lot of activity up there. Brazil seemed to have been more interested than anybody else. I asked them why, why they were so interested, and they said, we have craft that lands in the sugarcane fields all the time. And the peasants is the one that works the sugarcane fields, and when it scares them, they won't come back to the field for two or three weeks. And it disrupts their working pattern in, in, in the community as well. And they are very interested because they have a lot of UFO activity in Brazil. And they seem to have an open mind, too, uh, and an open curiosity, which I really like. Because I get a lot of messages from uh, Brazil and other countries like that, South America. I'm glad you said that. It seems like the only ones that doesn't disclose or have an open mind is the United States of America. Yeah, sad to say. I feel like we're keeping everybody stupid intentionally in a it really irritates me, and once in a while I just get mad about it. There's not much I can do about it, but uh, except for to keep talking and provide a forum for others to share their experiences. But um, it's really might, It also might indicate that our certain elements of our government know something that the other nations don't. Look what, Adrian? Tell that's the whole point. Like what? But I think they might know maybe certain things about why they're here or elements they might know because if everybody else is talking about it and we aren't, 
to me, that's an indicator that, okay, well, they must know something more because um, the other countries are saying or working when they're, they're, they're releasing stuff, you know, um, South America or England um, released a lot of files. Um, maybe we know something, and, and that's that's why they're, we're tight-lipped. I don't know. That's my – I'm speculating. I've, I've met two gentlemen, uh, Nick Pope, which was the ex-defense minister of uh, – Mod, yeah. Oh, yeah, in the uh, United Kingdom, you know, England. And he knows more than he tells. I've tried to get it out of him, but he's he's pretty tight-lipped. And who I do have a lot of respect for that I met, a very dear personal friend, is Paul Hellyer, ex-defense minister of Canada. He is, uh, I think he's probably getting close to 90 years old, but he's in perfect health. His mind is as clear as a bell. He has been privileged to a lot of information and uh, he also testified up there in Washington D.C. last year where I met him at and uh, ever since I saw him in Sebring, Florida the next time and we hit it off quite well and uh, he's he's quite knowledgeable person and uh, and no no BS in either he just tells it the way it is and here's what's going on and it ties in way back with the Rockefellers and the Bilderbergs and, and all that. And he's, he's quite informed. Yeah, I mean, Nick Pope raised a good point. Like, Nick Pope, he's still bound by the Secrecy Act, even though he's officially not working. I mean, if he's worked with UFO stuff, um, even if he's officially not getting paid by them, I mean, once you're in the intelligence community, you're never really out. <laughs> you're just not getting paid. And so I heard him on the interview with uh, Art Bell. It was on Coast to Coast a few years back, and um, he was talking about writing a, a new book. But he he stated that he still has to, you know, whatever he writes, he gets it cleared from Mod to make sure, you know, am I saying something I shouldn't be saying or something like that. So you're you're spot on as far as him being tight-lipped. I'm sure he knows stuff that he that Nick Pope knows stuff that he can't talk about. Absolutely, and I'll, I'll tell you a funny, quick story. He's uh, I weighed a little over two hundred at that time, and he's he's kind of a small gentleman, and I I like Long Island iced teas. I can drink several of them, and still fly an airplane if I had to, I guess. So I'm in Washington. I I start buying Nick all these Long Island iced teas, and I thought I'm going to get this guy loosened up here a little bit. Next thing you know, he's about as straight as a arrow and I'm the one that's loosened up I had to go back to my room and go to bed it didn't work so I, tried, <laughs> I, I tried like hell but it just didn't work yeah. <laughs> now there's a question in chat again asking um, let's see if you it's from Chris if you want to go on a ride on the mothership raise your right hand but anyway he's saying I wonder if you could would you want to actually go aboard one of those ships or do you have this sense that you've ever been on board? I would go aboard it in a New York minute. I mean, I would love awesome. to have the opportunity. Now, if they can read my mind, they know that I'm fixing to take that ship away from them, and that's going to be my ship now. So they probably <laughs> won't let it. <laughs> that's great. And you could probably fly it. Hello? Yeah, I was, uh, okay. I was just uh, going over the possibilities there, but uh, I, I would love to go on board. Now, I've got a, a 
several friends that says, oh, you know, I say, what are you guys doing? Well, we're waiting on the, the ship to come by and save us and pick us up and get us out of here. Mm. And uh, and I, I, I may be wrong on this, but I said, let me tell you what, you're on your ship right now, and it's the best one you're going to get. It's got, it's got water, it's got air, it's got food, it's beautiful. That's right. Said, it's, it's, it keeps you nice and temperature is probably pretty well correct and I said you get on that ship and you think you're going for lunch you could very well be lunch you raise an excellent point because the fact is we are in space absolutely (laughs) in space you know we're all in space just in varying um, um, degrees and I would add that uh, we have to save ourselves uh, we have to earn our place in the galactic neighborhood absolutely Um, we've got to We've got, got the best ship in the world, and we're trying to tear it up, which is the world. So, uh, you know, they've given us a ship here. Let's see if they can keep it together or not, you know. Well, right. I hope you do. Steve, were you referring to uh, that we might be eaten once we're invited aboard the ship? Is that what you're trying to say? That reminds me of the To Serve Humans, the Twilight Zone episode. Is that it really just could be, you know. I, I have okay. no idea. You you could be invited for lunch, or you could be lunch. I don't know. You know, who knows? So. <laughs> I heard it didn't go by me. So we, we have really enjoyed speaking with you tonight. I know it's a little later over there, and you probably want to go eat dinner and go rest and everything. And, and we, I've just been so happy to have you aboard our ship tonight, and uh, you're welcome back any time. I want to thank you so much for uh, coming on the show tonight. Oh, my privilege. Thank you very much for having me, and Keep up the good work that you guys do out there. You know, we're we're all pulling in the same direction. It's going to happen. It's You're a welcome. pleasure to meet you, Steve. So Thank you so much. It was an honor to talk really with you. Gorgeous. It's really been an honor. We'll see you again soon. Take care. Bye, right, Steve. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And uh, so, Adrian, uh, why don't you uh, give us some of your feelings about this whole thing? Because I, I feel like you have a lot to say. I love the Stevensville case. <laughs> it's one of my favorite... <laughs> If I had to pick of you know, know. The ten or top five, I mean, there's hundreds of them. Though that's one of the best ones. Um, what was illuminating to me was um, that the cattle mutilations were happening before that, and also the about the underground air base and that he knew friends who work in um, in the intelligence community. And I mean, it, there's so much that ties into there. I, it just this case just just gets better and better the more I learn about it. Yeah, it's a fascinating case, and I have the feeling that uh, what I saw was small and very exquisite. I've, I've never gotten over it. I I see it in my mind's eye, and uh, as me and my best friend, who we've been, you know, we've been friends so long, over 40 years, but we saw this in the 80s, and we still talk about it, you know, at least a couple times a week. We run over the details again. It's just a a very fascinating story and amazing, and I, I, I respect Steve. When he came out here, I, I actually saw him, and he was a, for the uh, the Ciro group, and he's a very kind and generous gentleman to everyone, and uh, he's very sincere, and I believe him. Yeah, I saw him on TV. Um, I forget where, but when I saw the images, like, oh, yeah, I remember that gentleman. I've seen him in um, interviews and or whatever. And, um, yeah, he, he seems very a salt-of-the-earth kind of guy, very honest. And um, 
that's what I like, you know, straightforward, telling you what he thinks, um, and the nuts, nuts and bolts type of guy. And you get a sense that he's yeah. not not lying at all. No, not mean, at all. You can tell that is, you know, he's still trying to um, <laughs> get used to the fact that he's thrust into this field. Where we've been into it all our lives. Um, yeah. And his, it's too bad his friends, you know, yeah, they'll be reclusive. Um, and I can appreciate it because, you know, they have that, they were raised a certain way, whatever, and um, they're adults now, um, especially with this hypermedia, age of the hyper, I call it age of the hypermedia because the Internet and social media and TV and just everything is just, we're so hyper-connected. Um, you say something and it can go viral really quick, you know, and you have no yeah, privacy. Yeah. No and, privacy. No, I make a lot of mistakes. So, you know, I don't hear him making much mistakes. He just, just does it. I forget. Sometimes I exaggerate. And I have all this stuff going on. He doesn't have any of that, which I'm really, really glad because I'm a, very much of an emotional type. So, you know, I'll go off on any kind of tangent. But anyway, uh, you know, it's this is really uh, important that we're talking about this. Uh, many people that follow our show are experiencers, and uh, this is important for them. What he's giving us is recent and detailed information about something that was so large, and I heard about it on the news when it was happening. Do you remember this case, don't you? I totally remember this case, yeah. I've, I've known about this case for years. And um, the thing about the important about the military, because some people who might be listening who are agnostic or healthy agnostics as Friedman would like to say, I think, well, you know, maybe we should entertain that it's military doing something. And my counter-argument to this, the whole point is, it was a UFO flap around that whole, it was actually started, I think, in November or December, the sighting started, and then well into end of um, January. I mean, the January 8th was when it, when it broke, but people have been seeing craft um, all throughout that time. So for them, you know, the military to say, well, you know, um, there was F-16s first, you know, they not denied anything. Then they said, well, there's 10 F-16s flying around that that time on January 8th. Well, that's January 8th. What about the other times? You know, so they did a terrible job at trying to debunk it. And still, you know, um, that in and of itself was just terrible because F-16s don't hover. F-16s no. aren't la- <laughs> large as a, you know, a half a mile to a mile large. F-16s um, are not silent. You know, and they, they, there's a host of things that they can't do what people saw and backed up by by um, radar. So they were just too busy military about January 8th, and they couldn't get their story straight. But the whole point was it was a UFO flop. There were sightings and things that were happening um, throughout that whole month and before. And, yeah, um, there so, was like... I'm sorry? And then there was some sense. You know, uh, my friend, she went and saw the... The other uh, Texas lights, the one that were the triangle, she actually saw that from a distance. And she said it was so silent and so huge. Um, several football fields, very, she said it was like square, but it had lights along the rim. And that from her point of view, when she told me this, it was so peculiar. You remember those little hand paper things we used to do? You know, uh, the, they used to close in, like with your fingers, you could close it in. She yeah, said it yeah, yeah, in. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She said she said it closed in and and snapped shut 
and in the blink of an eye, it was gone. That huge thing was gone. So what he yeah, was I mean that matches up with a lot. I mean, I have a tape from nineteen God eighty eighty nine or whatever when it was um when all that stuff was breaking up. You know, coming out, it's called UFO Unsolved Mysteries, and it had actual shots, and you can see, like, the UFO shows up, and then it disappears, and then it shows up in another spot and reappears and shoots off. And then you hear the Allagash guys and the Allagash abduction case talk about the same sort of thing. I think that's a clue to its, um, what we would call propulsion. Um, yeah. Probably distorts space and time, or, so it gives an illusion that it's disappearing, and then when it's ready to go, it reappears at a different spot, and then boom, it just shoots off. Um, and yeah, I hear that time and time. I've been hearing that for decades about that sort of thing. You know, yeah, it appears, disappears, then it reappears at a different spot, and then boom, it, it shoots off. And so that's highly consistent. You, you hear that a Very lot. Much so. Yeah, and so... Yeah, I, and um, actually, uh, also, how fast he said it was going is phenomenal. Uh, I... How it could change its acceleration, you know, quickly. Yeah, change acceleration, come back and go back. It's just just fascinating. But what I saw was very slow moving, so it was very intentionally making itself known. Something um, that big? (laughs) This big, you can't can't miss it. I don't think it uses propulsion. It's definitely using some sort of um, just totally – it's following the rules of, of physics. It's just the rules of physics that we're not aware of. Um, they found a way to do stuff differently. It's, uh, we call it propulsion, but it's probably not propulsion at, at all. It's something different. Um, because uh, use, if we use our sort of technology to stop, how do, how do you stop something that large so quickly, you know, and that quietly, you know? Um, no, it's it's their technology is like magic from our perspective, you know. Yeah. Um, Claudette said in chat, uh, let me tell you something Claudette said in chat. She said, maybe our missing people are on those massive chips. Now, that would be bizarre. That would be like something out of... uh, Maybe what? uh, She said, what if all our missing people and people say they have alien abductions and disappeared? Maybe they're aboard these ships. And it reminds me of the movie uh, Close Encounters where the people that have been gone forever actually came back and... uh, were the same age as when they left. And who knows? I think we've been speculating this the whole time. And, uh, you know, it's it's just amazing. And uh, this is just one of the cases that uh, we'll keep talking about. Um, he's doing an excellent job. And, uh, you know, then he's holding down this normal life, which is, is fantastic that you can go back to having a regular life. Because what else are we going to do? That's what I do. Yeah, you have you know, to. I mean, you have to find... If I see something... I go to work. Every, so, I, I go to work every day. I just do my job. I just keep doing it. You, cause you have to. I mean, um, at the same time, you can't. It's weird. It's finding that it's harder to explain to people who haven't been abducted or haven't seen a UFO. Um, especially being abducted, I <laughs> think that's even more of an ontological shock. Um, you can't help but think about it. Yet you you have to function in your everyday stuff, you know, you you just have to, you have to go to work, you have to go to school, you have to do all sorts of stuff, but it just, it sits there in your mind, you know, and you you can't help not think about it. Uh, right. you, 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 us, you, you appreciate like that very therapy, well. Really. Or, 
Uh, I'm, just, I'm speaking more to those who are, who are listening who might not have, and I'm, um, I know I'm preaching to the choir when I'm talking to you, but I'm talking out to the audience. Um, it's just you have no idea how um, it does alter, <laughs> and especially if you have something that's happened to you multiple times, um, like with me and Shar, it's just you have you you can't get around it. You have to think about it. So it's just weird duality where you're forced to function in the mundane world. And then um, there's just something extraordinary happening, and you're trying to figure out about it, and that's what we're doing here on this show. Okay, there, the, where you can get the, the whole, uh, there's a 77-page report, and it has all the data, and it has a lot of charts and stuff that I saw in there, and it's available about uh, Steve Allen's case. It's available at ufocasebook.com. And Are you going to put you that on your Paranormal and Sacred Facebook page? Uh, do you want me to put that? Yeah, put that link up there. I'll put that your... link up. I, have, I think I, I have it, at the, not this one, but I, I will. I'll put it on the front so everybody can get it, and I'll put it on my uh, Facebook page too. So uh, That'd I, be great. I've got it, and I'll get that link and provide it for everybody because it's a quite uh, uh, extensive report. And... Uh, Everything's in there, and it also has a report of the, his first, the first time he reported it. That's in there, and his story has been consistent through the whole thing, and, and it's just uh, just really great. I really respect the man, and uh, I look forward to seeing and hearing from him again. And yeah. um, Adrian, what are you up to? Same old, same old. Um, got my website, ufophilosopher.com. It's a, it's a website where um, sort of multiple functions. It's there as a place where you can, if you don't know anything about UFOs, ufology, it's a good starting point. So I have some reading material up there for, or suggested reading list. And I've put some writings up there from a philosophical perspective. That's my expertise. And um, to try to get a handle on what's going on. And you can reach yeah, me at Adrian at UFOphilosopher.com. And I have a Twitter. Um, my handle is at UFOphilosopher. Right. And then for more information, you can also uh, connect with Steve Allen on uh, Facebook. And if he wants to, he could be your friend. But he just, uh, you know, he can give, he can, you can message me, and I will give him a message if you want to speak with him or anything like that. Because I want to keep his personal information private. And uh, if you want to hear more about the Paradigm Symposium and things that are going on with that, go to www.paradigm symposium.com and that's where uh, they were speaking about all the other stuff that's going on and we'll continue to uh, keep coming back and uh, I want to thank everybody that was on the show. Adrian, awesome co-host as usual. Thank you, sir. Thank you so it was much. awesome to be on your show. And, and uh, it's, uh, I really respect your opinion and I'm glad to have you on. And I want to thank Steve Allen again and he's welcome on board anytime. And everybody in chat, I just want to say thank you so much for all your intelligent questions and uh, support. And people on Facebook were also asking questions and things like that. So it's been a very exciting show. And next week we have another show, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, as you are here every week. And we're going to have a couple that are actually into uh, Native American uh, things like that and uh the Shaw woman, and uh, they're going to talk to us about their very odd experiences that have to do with uh, 
uh, I don't know, they call it the 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 the, strength, the high strengthness. It's Chad and Alto Dillard, and uh, we're going to have them next week at at uh, on our show. So come back next week. The Paranormal Sacred every Friday, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Thank you guys a lot. God bless everybody. Take care, Jim. Bye, Steve. Take care. Bye, bye. Bye, Claudette. Bye, Nancy. Bye, Adrian. Bye, Doctor Virtual. Care. <laughs> bye, bye. Take care, everybody.